Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The law can't save us because we're all sinners. And once you're a sinner, then that means the law is no help to you whatsoever. All the law is doing is affirming, yes, you're a sinner. That's all it's doing. It can't bring you above that. If there had been a law that could have been kept for justification, that's the way God would have done it. But because we're all sinners, it's impossible. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, in a message titled, The Law, Our Tutor to Bring Us to Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So here we are. And, and today what I want to do is just sort of take, um, take these, these verses from 15 to 29 and just do more or less an exposition of them. And then there's a couple of statements here that will probably come back around. Before we finish chapter 3, we'll probably come back around and look at a couple of things in more detail. But today we want to continue to follow Paul's argument here. So once again, just real quickly to set the stage, remember Paul goes to Galatia. The Galatians are, the Galatians are um, they're, they're pagans, they're idol worshipers, they're lost in, in all of that sin and so forth. And Paul comes with the gospel and they receive Christ as the savior and they're born of the spirit and they're filled with the spirit and they're living in the joy of the Lord and the blessing of God. And it's just a, a beautiful experience for everybody until these certain false teachers come and they bring in the idea that the Galatians need to add the Mosaic law to their faith in Christ in order to really be perfected. And unfortunately, the Galatians, they just lay hold of this, they embrace it, they turn against Paul, and they start thinking that now they're extraordinarily righteous because now they've uh, adopted the law as well as their their faith in Christ. So so Paul is on a mission to turn them back to the true simple faith in Christ to show them the fallacy of their position to show them that by embracing the law far from bringing themselves into a a deeper closer relationship with God they've actually put themselves under a curse because uh it is written in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the law to do them. And so he's showing them the fallacy of this, and he continues to do that right on through the remainder of the chapter. And so in verse 15, he says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ? And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So something that they would all understand. He says, I'm, I'm just speaking in a common way here in the manner of men. 
if it's only a man's covenant. If, so if two people enter into a contract, that's the picture that he's painting. If two people enter into a contract and sign the contract, the contract is binding. It, it can't be altered. And he's using that to illustrate his point that Abraham received a covenant from God and just like a human contract can't be altered, neither can the covenant that God made with Abraham. So for them to think that 430 years later, after the covenant had already been established for all of these, you know, four and a half centuries almost, that God's going to somehow come along and throw in this additional thing, Paul is really trying to show them the absurdity of that thought, that, that God would make all these promises to Abraham and then at a later point say, well, you know, I've been rethinking it and listen, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going we're to bring in this addition of the law and the promises are only going to be fulfilled if you keep this. Paul's, Paul's just really showing them how absurd such thinking is. Now, the covenant that God made with Abraham was an unconditional covenant and it was an irreversible covenant. So it was unconditional. God came to Abraham and he just simply said this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Uh, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. And he just went on with this list of things. And that was it. He didn't say, I'm going to do all of this if you do this, that, or the other thing. God just declares, this is what I'm going to do. It's unconditional. Abraham says, great, I believe that. God says, okay, you're righteous. So Paul is saying that that's the way the covenant is. It's an unconditional, irreversible covenant. So the idea that somehow the law, which came 430 years later, I mean, think about how long 430 years is. It is a long time, right? Our nation's not 430 years old, is it? And so it's the same sort of a thing for them to think that after all of this time, God suddenly changes the rules, so to speak, and says, oh, no, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Paul says, no, that's ridiculous, that's absurd. So the question is, what, what is the purpose of the law? And they've been misled by the false teachers to think the purpose of the law is justification, that it's through the keeping of the law that you obtain favor with God. Paul shows them here that that was never God's intended purpose for the law. Now, you can find similar argumentation in Paul's letter to the Romans. And in, in Romans 1 through 7 and these chapters here in Galatians 3 and 4, you find very similar kinds of arguments because Paul's dealing with the same types of issues. And, and there in the letter to the Romans, he goes to great lengths to point out that this idea that somehow the law saves you Paul just says, no, the law, that's, that's not the purpose of the law. So these, the Jews, of course, had uh, a horrible time in trying to separate the law from the gospel. Uh, but now these Galatians have just bought into the same 
thing. So Paul is going to uh, explain to them the true purpose of the law. So he says in verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? Okay, if the law doesn't save us, if this isn't the way that we're made right with God, what, what is the point of the law? What does it do? So he says, he says, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So purpose number one, why, why the law? Number one, it was added because of transgression. So the law was added to show what sin is. As Paul says in writing to the Romans, he says that death reigned from Adam to Moses, but where there is no commandment, there was no real understanding of sin. Sin was in the world and it was proved by the fact that death reigned. But where there's no commandment as to what is right and what is wrong, there was no clarification. So the law comes along and it's added because of transgression. It's added to show what sin really is. And it's also in that, uh, that it's added because of transgression, it's added to, to keep the people from transgressing because their transgression would lead to their destruction, which then would potentially interfere with the fulfillment of God's promise. If there's no nation left to fulfill the promises to, that creates a problem. So, the law was added because of transgression. Now, verse, the end of verse 19 and verse 20, I, I want to just comment on this really briefly because this passage, and maybe you're one of those people who you're, you're reading your Bible consistently, you've come across this passage, and you've wondered, what in the world does this mean? And, you know, I've had many experiences in my life as a student of the Bible, a teacher of the Bible, of coming across like a, you know, kind of a difficult passage to understand. And then I go to like a commentary to see, well, what do they say about it? And, you know, so often they don't say anything about it. And you're like, wait, I, I want to know what this is. And, you know, sometimes that can even happen at church where there's that one passage, you're, you're, you know that you're going to get there. And you're like, oh man, I can't wait till we get there because I really want to know what that means. And then you get there and the pastor just skips right over it. So I'm tempted to do that, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> because it is, it is a little bit of a perplexing um, couple of verses here. But so what is Paul talking about here? He says, um, he says it was appointed, uh, the law was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So what he's talking about here, even though it's a, it's a bit difficult to grasp it, what he's talking about here, again, is the difference between the two covenants. You see, the covenant between God and Abraham was, was just between them. There was no mediator. God speaking directly to Abraham, telling him, this is what I'm going to do. When you come to the Mosaic covenant, it's a different story. You've got God, you've got the people of Israel, but you've got a mediator in between. And the, the point is this that the Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant, the Mosaic covenant was not. You see, the Mosaic covenant could only bless if the people were obedient to it. So it was conditional. God says, I'm going to do this, 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 and that, and you must do this, 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 and that. 
But that's not the covenant with Abraham. God just says, I'm going to do this for you. And so that's what he's, I think, alluding to here when he talks about this whole thing of having the mediator. So he goes on, though. And notice what he says. He says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. You see, what, what happened is when Paul made these statements, rather than really listening to what Paul was saying and understanding it, they just took it and ran with it, and they would inevitably accuse Paul of saying things that he didn't say. So Paul's not faulting the law. And of course, in the mind of the, of the Jew, and now these people that are influenced by the Jews, they'd be thinking, oh man, I can't believe that Paul's so disrespectful to the law. How dare he say that? How could he say something like that about the law? But that's not what Paul was doing. Is he saying that the law is against the promises of God? Certainly not. And again, in covering similar ground in Romans, he says to them, listen, the law is holy, it's just and good. There's nothing the matter with the law. Don't misunderstand me. The law is fine. It's holy, just, and good. The problem is not the law. The problem is us. We're sinners. And the law demands perfect obedience if it's going to bless, and we can't bless it. So that, in that sense, the law is a problem. It's a problem for us because we can't keep it. So is the law against the promises of God? No. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So notice the scripture has confined all under sin. This is the problem. The law can't save us because we're all sinners. And once you're a sinner, then that means the law is no help to you whatsoever. All the law is doing is affirming, yes, you're a sinner. That's all it's doing. It can't bring you above that. If there had been a law that could have been kept for justification, that's the way God would have done it. But because we're all sinners, it's impossible. So he says then, uh, the scripture is confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. So the second thing we're told is that the law, the purpose of the law, it kept us under guard. The law was God's way of protecting the people from the destruction of sin. So it was like they were in protective custody under the law. So remember, Israel's surrounded by all of these nations that have engaged in idolatry and all kinds of sin and perversity and all of that sort of thing, which would ultimately lead to their demise, would lead to their destruction, their annihilation. They would self-destruct because of this. Now, Israel is surrounded by this, and so that same possibility is there for them but God's going to put them in protective custody, so to speak, by giving them the law. That's going to protect them from the, the destructive nature of sin that could potentially come in and wipe them out. And like I said, if it wipes them out, then there's no nation to bless. So the law is given as a protective measure to keep them from self-destruction. But then... He says, finally here, in regard to the purpose of the law, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
So the law was added because of transgression. The law was uh, there to keep us in protective custody. Now the law is our tutor or schoolmaster. The Greek word is the word we get the word pedagogue from. It means uh, an instructor or a teacher, and it was referring to, in the culture of the day, it was referring to uh, something that was common in the Greek and Roman homes where you would have an instructor over the children, and particularly over the boys. And that person was to prepare them for manhood. That was their job. And so they would teach them everything they needed to know to become men, and they would not only educate them, but they would also discipline them very strictly. And they would make sure that they were disciplined and principled young men so that when they came to the age of inheriting, they would enter into their adulthood fully prepared. So that, that's the picture that Paul illustrates the point with. The law was our tutor. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to the place where we could enter into the full inheritance. That would be the place of Christ. So the law is the thing that was ultimately pointing people to Jesus. You see, here's God's intention for man's response to the law. When, when I see the law, and we'll, we'll just summarize the law in the Ten Commandments, all right? The law was, was broader than the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments was, was more or less the summary of the law, the moral aspect of the law. And so here's the way God intended for it to work, that a person would see the law, and in seeing the law would understand that they failed to keep the law. So in going through the commandments, you shall, uh, I'm, I'm the Lord, your, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an image. You shall not bow down to or worship. You, you should not take the name of the Lord in vain and yet keep the, the Sabbath and honor your father and your mother and you shall not commit adultery and murder and theft and covetousness and all these things. So God says, okay, he puts this out and what he expects is that we would look at that and say, oh no, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I haven't done this. Oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, is there another way that I could be saved? See, that's, that's the intention with the law. But what has man done with the law? Well, we've looked at the law and said, yeah, sure, I can do that. That's not a problem. Got any more? You know, 10, 10, you know, maybe, how about 15? You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. That's the way people tend to look at the law. But that's not the purpose of it. And listen, this isn't a problem that was uh, only a problem 2,000 years ago with the Galatians. This is a problem today. This is the same thing today. This is the way people think. Now, if they're religious, if they're Jewish, or if they're even belonged in the larger you know, Christian denominations or whatever, uh, or, or Muslim or whatever the case, people think like this. They think, well, you know, I keep these laws, I, or at least I do my best to do that, and that's sufficient. That's my ticket to heaven or wherever you end up in the end. People still think that today. It's, it's a very common 
of thought. And even, ironically, even for people who don't believe in God, even for atheists, atheists still have a sense that they're working for something. You know, they're doing good things. And that's somehow going to ultimately benefit them. So the problem still remains with us. But the law is not a solution to our problem. The law is only pointing out that we do have the problem. So the way we are to react to the law is to let it do what it was intended to do, to lead us to Christ. And listen, when people do come to understand that these laws are fixed, and you know, this is something that the modern mind needs to really lay hold of. These laws are fixed. There's, it doesn't matter what people say about them, whether they like them or dislike them or approve or disapprove, or they can uh, get them overruled in a court of law or get them, you know, in a, in a constitution, get around uh, obeying them. And none of that matters. These laws are fixed forever. They can't be altered. And every transgression of these laws requires punishment. And so the truth of the matter is, as we look at the law and as we take it to heart, it's to bring us to the place of recognizing I am in trouble before God. Oh God, I need a savior. And of course, God has provided a savior. That's what Jesus is. He saves us from the penalty of our sins, which are violations of God's law. So that's the, the work of the law. That's the, the job of the law. Now, let me, let me just say this too, that any person who somehow thinks that they are a Christian, but yet at the same time doesn't recognize their need for forgiveness is not a Christian. You see, you can't be a Christian and say something like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just never felt the need to be forgiven. If you've never felt the need to be forgiven, then you're not forgiven. But you do need to be forgiven. You just haven't felt the need. You haven't, the, the reality of what the law is hasn't, hasn't hit home with you. You haven't allowed the, that conviction of the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is sent into the world to convict the world of sin. So if I'm saying I'm a Christian, but I've never been uh, convicted of sin, then my Christianity is not a biblical Christianity. You see, biblical Christianity is a person has recognized, I am a sinner. I am undone. I am hopeless. Apart from intervention on the part of God, I am damned. I am doomed. That's the biblical picture. It's only those who recognize they need a savior that are saved. Because listen, Jesus is first and foremost before anything else in relation to man. He is a savior. And make no mistake about that. Because today, and it's not the only time it's ever been like this, but today people think, well, you know, Jesus is a good example. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus was a martyr for a noble cause. Jesus is a savior. And he saves people from sin. And we are sinners. We have broken God's law. And the very 
purpose of the law is to show us that and to lead us to Christ. And so that's what he says. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Listen, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now think about the context here. The Galatians, they come to faith. They were already there. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you've ever pondered if there is really only one way to God, or if all religions ultimately lead you to God, then this book is for you. Rebecca McLaughlin addresses this very topic and others that confront Christianity head-on. The book Confronting Christianity is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.